is all these things, all these categories have sort of melted together. Because YouTube could be how to fix something in your house, DIY stuff for your house. It could be a news clip. It could be some beauty influencer's makeup tutorial. It could be a variety of things, right? Um, but it is also a it is also a distinct thing from words on a page. So there's a, there's a difference there. Okay. What what other sorts of media? So YouTube, things we do on our phone. What are some of the other things that would kind of connect to those or ways that we receive information or ideas? Corey. Okay. All right. So. Brief comment on those. How do Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter shape the communication that's being given? Okay. So we've seen the rise of fact checking, which means if we disagree with it, and our particular perspective on things, it's not true. And we're going to give you articles from our side of things and disallow articles from other perspective. Jerry. Um, one of the hazards of a lot of those social media is if they have a method of you liking something, a post, um, the, uh, the software engineers tend to design it to where you get more of the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when I was doing debate in high school, there were websites like Reuters or whatever that were aggregations of a bunch of news articles from across the spectrum, and it was just a presentation, a compilation of all of the news in one place with an opportunity to see more of the information and less of the bias. But to Jared's point, if the software is specifically designed to uh, basically see you, show you more of what you've already seen, then your perspective is going to get narrower and narrower and narrower, and eventually you're never going to see anything that you disagree with, theoretically, except as this is insane and radical and we should hate it and destroy it. And that fits very well with the modern social narrative of I should feel safe, no one has a right to make me feel badly about anything I say or do, unless you're a racist or whatever, and then you should be made to feel badly and drug through the streets. Um, what's that? Sorry. <laughs> Maybe I was racist, though. Well, right. The word has become very fuzzy. Evan? Um, well, I was thinking another uh, thing that happened with social media is that uh, it greatly sped up the dissemination of information. Okay. So where it's easier with someone spreading a rumor and people taking it as fact, when it in fact is... Sure. So rapid spread of information, gigantic quantities of information that are next to impossible for any one person, any group of people to consume. There's always more things to know. And so what has happened to our knowledge is it has incredible breadth, random categories, and almost no depth. There's no actual analysis of what we're seeing. 
in terms of ourselves doing the analysis, there's no focus on actually understanding a particular topic, um, you know, any of those sorts of things. It's just you might, and think, go back to YouTube, you might jump from a video on how to DIY plumbing to, oh, here's how you can use this tool to work on your car, to, oh, here's this new car that you should go buy, to, oh, here's what's going on with the price of gas and why politically, and it's just this random jumping around. Take Twitter, for example. So uh, you went to the issue of the platform controlling what can be said, which is a key and important issue. But the very design of various platforms shapes the type of communication. Instagram is, here's a picture. Twitter is, here's this short blip. Facebook is, here's things about me. Focus on me. Make me feel good. Okay. And when all of those things come together, it is impossible to entirely separate the intention and design of the platform from the way that we use it. We can say, oh, we're going to use it in this way. But the reality is, your page drops off into oblivion on Facebook if it doesn't get attention. Same for all of the other things. So instead of focusing on a small number of quality, well-thought-out ideas, the same thing happened with blogs. Here's a weblog, a blog. People felt like, I've got to post something every day or people are going to give up on it. And so it was either lots and lots of stuff that no one cared about, but occasionally, but people subscribed anyway. And then they felt guilty because they didn't read all of it or whatever. Or sometimes people didn't realize the difference between a blog and uh, like a journal article. And so there's pages and pages and pages, and then nobody read it. And that's just all the electronic side of things. But again, it's difficult to separate the way that we receive the media from the media itself. So take something like music. Music can be uh, produced, presented on a variety of formats, whether you're talking MP3 that plays through the speakers on your computer, whether you talk a vinyl record, whether you talk the radio, which again, the radio could be a digital thing or an analog thing, or there's all these different intersecting things, so it's hard to unravel all of that. Then you have things that are not just written, but that also have pictures with them, that have videos with them, that have audio with them, and as we've said, there's all these other sorts of things. There's also the question of what are we trying to do with all these sorts of things? So we tend to think of social media as a way of communicating with people, and in reality, we're not communicating with people so much as shouting, look at me, in a variety of ways, which, if you think about it when you're talking with someone, if all you ever say is, here's what I did, and here's about me, and here's the things I like, that's not really a healthy conversation, particularly from a Christian perspective. All of that is the background for, before we even get to what the article kind of talks about, which is, What's acceptable in the things that we take in? So that's what we want to get to. But before we got there, I just thought we need to think through all this other background stuff. A couple of key quick points from this about what it is that we take in. In academic circles, there are much bigger issues of a book being banned or censored. I'm not really wanting to focus on that. I'm just saying practically, what does this have to do with our discernment? 
So this article starts with what are some categories of elements that could be censored? So first off, what is censorship? Censorship is basically saying, this is good, this is bad, we're not going to allow this. Something along those lines. So question one on your page there, censorship is basically excluding something for a variety of reasons. Who does censorship? Everybody. Even the ones that claim to be unbiased and a fair platform and whatever else. Whether by accident or by intention, everyone does some sort of censorship. Everyone practices, from a biblical perspective, some sort of discernment. From a secular perspective, limiting or silencing the voices that we don't think should be heard. So that's questions one and two there on the back of your sheet. So now we're moving on to number three. What are the categories of censorable elements, as it terms it in this article here? First one will be profanity. So number one of the seven items we're going to write down under number three, profanity. Profanity takes various forms. It can be sacrilege generally, although we're going to see a couple of other sort of subdivided into number two and three. Uh, some people view terms of intimacy used carelessly as profanity. Um, references to the relationship between the husband and the wife, references to body parts, those sorts of things, that that itself is profanity. And it could be in some categories, but we're going to put that under a different one. We're going to see profanity here narrowly defined as basically things like taking God's name in vain, blasphemy, religious sacrilege. Secondly, scatological realism. Okay? Reference to bodily functions what comes out of your body, and various terms to describe it, typically used in exclamation. Third is erotic realism. Physical relationship between a man and a woman, or between two people, and spoken of typically in a crude way. Fourth is sexual perversion. That would be the representation of any kind of thing uh, related to the sexual functions of the body outside the parameters of what God has established. So if there's a reference in a book to, let's say, adultery. Here's two people, they're not married, they're behaving as though they're married. That would be an example of this category. So profanity, scatological realism, erotic realism, sexual perversion. Number five would be lurid violence. And when I say lurid violence, I don't mean the mere mention of violence. So-and-so hit someone but something more along the lines of so-and-so punched him so hard that he lost teeth and blood gushed out of his nose and like lots of description of blood and gore. That's what we would be looking at for lurid violence. Occultism. This would be references to things like necromancy, conversations with the dead, or fortune-telling, astrology, um, demonic practices, all of these sorts of things would fall under this category of occultism. And the last idea would be, they term it as erroneous religious or philosophical assumptions. We could just say a, an unbiblical worldview. Probably would be a better summary phrase. Uh, take, for example, I used to really enjoy, and still sometimes, but not as much, reading science fiction. So take something like H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds in which he envisions an alien society that comes and conquers the earth and then 
the resulting chaos in human society and all those sorts of things. The Savior in that story, hope I'm not ruining this for anybody, but it came out in the 1800s, uh, early 1900s. Um, the Savior of this story is not God, it's disease. Wipes out the aliens, everybody is saved, hooray, they rebuild civilization. So, it's not a world that immediately has any objectionable elements in it. I mean, it's, the aliens are almost comical in their description compared to the realism we would see today of something similar. But it's an unbiblical worldview. It's a world in which there's no accounting for God. So those are the seven categories of objectionable elements. We could probably subdivide those. We could probably add a few more. But those are some of the big ones. As the article points out, it's easy to pick up on the first six. If people are dying in a bloody, violent way in a book or a movie, you pick up on that quicker than you pick up on their teaching an unbiblical idea. So it's something to be aware of. The next big idea I want us to think about is what are some current examples of objectionable material and why they are objectionable? And then we'll get into what some common responses are. Give me some, yeah, Jerry. So there was an ongoing debate into the participation of the Harry Potter series based on its display of the occult. Okay. Whether it showed too much positivity towards the occult um, rather than the danger that it might hold. And so it, it played with that in a um, kind of secular or uh, God-absent uh, storyline. Okay. So Harry Potter books and films. What else? Other examples of, of categories of things that might come up either in our circles or just generally in the world of things that might be objectionable in some way. Bob? Well, almost every commercial, TV show, movie, cartoon, children's book has some form of transgender or homosexuality as being normal and acceptable. Okay. Evan. Along those lines, for years now, we've been subjected to almost every mainstream movie or TV show where you have people living together outside of marriage. Okay. Kelly and I watched a rerun of the A-Team. That's a long time ago. And one of the characters, basically, his personality is... He likes to spend time with women, and that's just his thing, and that's okay. So it's not like this is a new thing. It's been, I mean, that's 40 years ago almost now, and this was going on much longer before that, probably even into the 1950s and 60s, that adultery was normalized in media, okay? What else? Other examples of objectionable things that might come to mind? Uh, Bob and then Jared. It's just the absence of the biblical worldview in regards to creation, teaching that evolution, Big Bang, and all that garbage is true. All right. Undoubtedly. Okay. Jurassic Park. Who doesn't like dinosaurs, but definitely teaches a very unbiblical view of the world. Any children's textbook on dinosaurs. Billions and billions of years. Here's the Cretaceous period. Here's the whatever period, and, and all that stuff. Okay, Jared? So, I would categorize them as, like, guy versus bad guy uh, investigator shows. Okay. Um, but you always struggle with 
the first season might be pretty uh, pretty harmless in some ways, and then every season it starts taking on cases or scenarios that get a little bit um, more difficult when it comes to the topic. Yeah. And then eventually it's like that's that's going a little too far or like long order um, or NCIS. Usually, I think they're so popular because they held the line a little bit on some topics, but other things like criminal minds, I, I never could get into that because it was just too much. Yeah. It got too much into the criminal aspect of it, the violence and the darkness. So okay. Those are always very popular. They're still around. Yeah. We can give tons more examples, but for sake of time, let's move on. I think we know some, some, some examples now, okay? Number five, three common approaches. Kelly highlighted for me, actually, that the article mentions four. But um, I won't say what else she said about the article, but she, she helped me out in that respect. <laughs> Permissivist view. So basically, the person who says... We could give this whatever label. There's the person who says, doesn't matter what you do. They have somewhat the attitude of the Corinthians. We're Christians. No evil can touch us. God's in us, so we're good. So just a very loose view about interaction with things that are sinful. Usually, highlights two things here. Why is it allowed? Um... There's other good things in it, or we need to have an honest view of life. We're just trying to have a realistic perspective on how the world is. And those two things are not necessarily false. Often, in something that is objectionable, there is at least some good in it. Sometimes not at all, but often there's at least some good in it. Something noble, something interesting, whatever, but... Um, that can be taken way too far. And then the other idea that we should have a realistic view of life, yes, but just because we should have a realistic view of life doesn't mean we ignore the fact of the maturity of the person receiving whatever it is, that we ignore the fact that as much as the world is a disaster, I think we're called to maybe have not optimistic, but a slightly more hopeful perspective on things, and we just say, well, it's realism. It's all be miserable forever. I mean, that's not really a helpful perspective. Furthermore, it says the Bible speaks of some realities we are to flee. The degree to which a particular category of sensible elements leads you into temptation, you need to use wisdom and say, even if this might not be absolutely sinful for any person I ever encounter, for me it's unwise and I'm not going to take it in. Here's a quick test on that point. Let's take something like profanity. You say, I hear profanity all day, and it doesn't affect me. When you start thinking those words and saying those words, I think that shows that it's not really true that you say it doesn't affect me. So is there perhaps a difference between watching a movie about the Vietnam War that has swearing in it once in the space of a year or five years? versus being around, intentionally being around people who swear all the time, probably a difference between those two things, probably a difference in the effect on you, probably a difference in the degree to which it permeates your life. So something to consider there. Uh, the other extreme, like way on the other side, 
they label here as the exclusivist view. No bad things ever. If evil is evil, we should never be exposed to it. There's a degree to which I think we should be more sympathetic with this perspective. If we're going to err on one side, we should err on the side of less contact with sinful things. That being said, often it goes hand in hand with an isolation from culture that means we're not sharing the gospel with people. I don't think the article per se mentions that, but the practical reality is you can't completely isolate yourself from the world, and it's not a guarantee that you avoid sin even if you isolate yourself. Beyond that, there is a whole lot of things that we would throw out. For example, they list off some things. The works of Shakespeare, because they mention some or all of these categories. We throw out the Declaration of Independence because it teaches a view of natural law that's not per se derived from the Bible. We throw out the Constitution because it says certain things about slavery that are inconsistent with the idea of all people being of equal value in God's sight. You know, things like that. Now, if if it were the case that this was the correct position, those would be reasonable sacrifices to make. But we have biblical examples of people who did not follow that pattern of life. Mentions here that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Paul had enough familiarity with pagan Greek philosophers to quote them at least once or twice in his sermons. And if it's once or twice in what's recorded for us, it probably came up more than that. He was familiar with the works of the Jewish rabbis, many of whom taught things contrary to what the Bible actually teaches, and yet he was aware of what they said. Daniel and his three friends had knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, again, in the context of Babylon, which was not an epitome of purity and holiness and all of those sorts of things. So I think that there are biblical examples that would contradict let's isolate ourselves as much as possible. Furthermore, there is the simple fact that the Bible itself contains a number of these categories, so if we deny that they should ever be discussed in any way, we have to throw out the Bible as a whole. Because we can't do the Thomas Jefferson thing, pick and choose and whatever. Profanity. Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and has a devil. They're basically cursing at Jesus, more or less. We don't probably pick up on that because we don't talk that way. But they're more or less cursing at Jesus. There's scatological realism, a man named Rebshecha in Isaiah 36. There's erotic realism, the Book of Song of Solomon, which often the solution has been, let's spiritualize everything, make it about Christ and the church. And that don't, doesn't seem to be what it was actually about in its original context for its original audience. There are realistic depictions of sexual perversion. It's mentioned that here are the sins of Sodom. It's mentioned that here is the disaster that went on during the time of the judges. It's mentioned that Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph and get him to commit adultery with her. Lurid violence. Joab's murder of Amasa in 2 Samuel 20. A number, I mean, the kids and I were talking in a completely different context about the thing where uh, J.L. takes the tent spike and kills Sisera. That's a pretty luridly violent story, the thing about Eglon. Occultism. Saul consults with a witch and tries to raise Samuel from the dead to commune with him, communicate with him. 
religious and philosophical assumptions, false viewpoints on God. Balaam, to some degree, some of the representations by Job's three friends, uh, the attitudes of the Pharisees are depicted and not uh, excluded from the content of Scripture. Why would someone then conclude this view? Will they take a verse like Psalm 101.3, I won't set any wicked thing before my eyes? I think here we have to again consider the difference between contemplation on what is evil extensively and brief contact in a evaluative way of something that is evil. So let me give you an example of this. It's not as simple as just you're driving down the road and you see someone dressed inappropriately. You know, here's some guy with his shirt off and he's trying to get women to long after him, like on a cover of a romance novel, something like that. Um, it's not as simple as just, well, if you look twice, you've sinned. Or, you know, if you think about it for more than 30 seconds, it's sin. There's, there's, um, we don't need to be simplistic about it. I think we should still respect the concern of we don't want our, our minds to be consumed with what's evil. Uh, Ephesians 5, the passage where it says, don't name certain things among saints. In context, since Paul just listed off those sins in the verses previous as marks of unbelievers in the old life, he's not saying never discuss the fact that these things exist. He's saying these should never be treated as normal. Think again about the Corinthians. First uh, Corinthians 5, there's a man who seems to have taken his mother-in-law as his wife. And God classified that in the Old Testament as a sexual perversion, and Paul said even the Gentiles don't act that way, and these people were exalting this as a normal behavior. The issue is not the allusion to the act, because Paul does it in his letter. The issue was the acceptance of the act as normal behavior among believers. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.22, that's really, if you read the King James, you're going to be confused on that because it says abstain from every appearance of evil, but it actually means more the idea of form. And that's just how language has evolved in the last however many years. Philippians 4, whatever things are true, etc., think on these things. Yes, we should primarily be dwelling on things that are true and things that are good. But again, we cannot completely isolate ourselves from the world. The third category, which... Here, here's what I think is interesting, and as Kelly and I were talking about it, here's what I think is going on. Um, if you have, on the one side, here's the people that say anything goes, here's the people that say nothing goes, here's the pragmatist, and he says, I'm going to be right in the middle. I don't want to go over here because it's not, it just doesn't work. The pragmatist is what works doesn't work for me to avoid every bad thing. And it seems unwise to do every bad thing. So we're going to just recognize we'll live in a broken world, stuff just kind of happens. That's just sort of the, the middle of the road position. What they would say instead is not that, but instead say, here's the Bible. Here's an interesting fact about that. Sometimes, the Bible is going to put us right here, and sometimes the Bible is going to put us right here. In some cases, the Bible is going to say, yeah, you should be really careful, stay far away from that. 
And in some cases, the Bible is going to say things where like, really, that's in the Bible? And so it's not try to maintain an equal, equal distance from the don't do anything people and the do whatever you want people to the it just stuff happens people. Instead say, what does the Bible say? And how does the Bible treat these topics? And how does the Bible represent them? Which we'll talk more about next week. And that's sort of the guiding principle with regard to how we approach these things. So in terms of number five, three common approaches, we could even say four. Um, abstain, immerse, stuff happens, what does the Bible say? Those will basically be the options. Hopefully we recognize that what does the Bible say is the one that, we're sh that we want to be guided by. What factors drive someone to one of these approaches? We've been talking through all those things for the last little while. Concern for holiness, just getting tired because the world is a mess. It's not worth the bother to worry about it anymore. Lots of factors. Past experience, what someone's taught you, some book that you read, all of these things can influence why we would be at one or more of these positions. Pros and cons of these common approaches. Again, I, you may have written down some of these things. Um, the practical reality is that if we um, if ultimately it shouldn't come down to us for, pro, for pros and cons. It should come down to, if we're patterning ourselves after Scripture, what pattern does the Bible hold out for us? That's really what it needs to come down to. We should consider the arguments that people put forth, but um, any further questions that you have at this point in what we've talked about? I know we just covered a lot of topics really fast, but the important ones are what are some common categories, what are some common positions, and we set that against our huge conglomerate of input sources in modern society. So we're not really going to answer the question of, so what do we do about it until next week or the following, but any questions about these things, the categories, the responses? Bob? I think one of the <clears throat> mindsets that seems to drive all of these things and make us desire them is the fear of missing out. Okay. And I think that's one of the things that we have to battle against. Sure. I'm not going to argue with you on that point, definitely. Um, I think one consideration is uh, textual versus video. Okay. Multimedia. Um, that even some categories can be tolerable, or topics tolerable in text, whereas I think visual um, <laughs> is, is far more impressive on someone. Um, that like scenario to someone in a text, it feels, yes, it's violent, but it's, I would prefer reading about it than probably seeing it. I think that's another good point. Yeah. So, so it does a little bit of shielding sure. being in text. 
One other interesting point, kind of springboarding off of that, is Mel Gibson did The Passion of the Christ a long time ago now, but it was interesting to me seeing clips from that relative to the biblical text, how his Roman Catholicism background anyway, I'm not saying he's an avid or devout Catholic, how the emphasis on the physical suffering of Jesus overshadowed any of the spiritual components because that can be made clear by phrases like, my God, my God, how, why have you forsaken me, in a way that just a bloody death pictured in a video doesn't do. And so it can potentially have an impact on the message, too, when we try to... I'm not saying any Jesus movie is bad. I'm just saying it's interesting, at least in that one instance, of, of how that changed the, the emphasis, at least. So... Um, so lots of other things that we can certainly uh, continue on with regard to this. Um, I'm looking here, I don't have the additional pages. Um, basic idea that we're going to get into next week is here's the categories, here's some common positions. If we say we want to be biblical, how do we go about evaluating these things? And so there's three principles that are highlighted in the article, and I think we should probably discuss some of these other things that you've mentioned. Uh, as well with regard to how do we decide then, not in a generic sense, but personally, should I read this book, watch this movie, listen to this song, and all of these other sorts of things. And even beyond that, how, what's our response to media in general? How much time should I spend with it is probably even the biggest concern in our society because it's really easy to be drawn in those things. Evan, you had a thought? I will give you some thoughts on it, yes. Careful, sooner or later you've got to bring up Marvel. It's true. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts here as we, as we wrap up this first sort of introductory background kind of discussion? No, no. I'm not entirely following what you're saying. I'm sorry. What's going on right now? The abuse of Sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's... If I'm following you, that may be connected with what Corey was bringing up in the sense that if the government is restricting things connected to Christianity and they are in alliance with these technocratic platforms that are restricting expression as well, um, that's going to have an impact on us and we're going to have to decide if we keep following God and all those things. So uh, in light of the prayer request earlier and some recent events, there's a part of me that says it seems silly to plan for the future, we should start packing our, our bags and getting ready to go. You know, but at the same time, there have been a number of people in churches who have felt that way at a variety of points in church history. There are people who probably felt that way during World War One and Two, during the Civil War, whatever else, times of darkness and war and disaster. This is it. We're done. I mean, that was a problem in the Thessalonian church. So... Um, 
I think to the extent that we are not there yet, we have a responsibility to continue to work through some of these issues with the expectation that if things are still more or less as they are now in 50 years or slightly worse but not completely fallen apart, our kids, our grandkids are going to have to wrestle through these issues and we need to have led them well. To wrap all that up, let me just give you a pastoral observation. My concern with thinking through some of these issues, particularly from the background of having been homeschooled and having been in a Christian school um, and now teaching in a Christian school, um, you ultimately are responsible before God for how you parent your children. My observation is that the parents who tried to shield their children from any form of evil, I experienced some of this in my own life. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not blaming my parents. I'm not saying they sinned. I'm just saying there was probably more on the side of let's, let's come over here than there was of let's be here or here. If we have this goal untethered from scripture about which our children are not convinced the minute they walk out your door they're going to probably land over here this is the challenge of Christian schools Christian colleges home schools a variety of churches so my goal pastorally is to say you are going to encounter evil and on that point this viewpoint is correct you're going to encounter evil you cannot leave this world you cannot hide away forever you will encounter it are you going to be prepared to respond to it in a biblical way because your perspective on the evil issues has been shaped by the Bible or are you going to be ill prepared for the evil because you had no idea about it or are you going to be ill-prepared for the evil because you've lived in it for so long it doesn't seem bad anymore? And so my goal pastorally is to say, let's not shy away from topics that sometimes the church has been afraid to discuss. We should understand what a healthy marriage looks like in all of its aspects and not like act like that subject is taboo. Now, age-appropriate, wisdom, yeah, all that needs to be a factor. But let's not avoid the topics that God discusses in the Bible. Let's not be simplistic and say something like, well, the reason that that kid went bad is because he got in with the wrong friends and because he played video games and because he listened to this particular kind of music. All of those things can intersect with someone walking away from the faith that we thought they professed as a child but they in and of themselves are at best symptoms, not the root cause. And so I say all that to say, I've talked with, uh, the first comes from observations when I was a homeschool kid and seeing friends and other people I knew walking away from the faith. The other comes from the side of the grandparents looking at that happening with their kids and saying, what happened? They went to a Christian school. They did all the right things. Everything looked good on the outside. What happened? And the reality is, 
they were not convinced of the truth of Scripture, which I recognize as God's work. But I also think there's an element to which we have a responsibility to guide them through the, the evils that we encounter in the world in a careful way, but not in a way that ignores the fact that we live in an evil and broken world. And so that's a challenge. And so probably the biggest thing I would urge you guys to do to go home from this is to pray and say, God, give me wisdom to do this with my kids. I need that wisdom. You guys need that wisdom. Those of you who uh, have grandkids need that w uh, wisdom with your grandchildren. Those of you who are not yet married need that wisdom someday as well and in the decisions that you're making now. And so my goal is not everybody agrees with everybody. That's the way I wanted to land. Each people, let them be fully convinced their own mind. God has given us each consciences. And so, to Evan's point, we'll just use that example. If you say it's okay for me to read Harry Potter, and I say I'm not sure, and someone else says absolutely not, the goal is not that we have absolute agreement about is this specific thing okay. The goal is that all of us are drawn closer to biblical principles to have a grid to evaluate all those things. And that's what I'm working toward. All right. We will wrap up there. Um, Mary, do you have any prayer requests, updates to share? I'm not sure if you can hear me. Sorry. Let me try, uh, try unplugging this. Mary, do you have any prayer requests? My sister-in-law's aunt died last night from COVID. Okay. So pray for Kathy's family. Said Kathy? Yeah, Kathy is my sister. Okay. All right. We'll definitely be in prayer for them. Okay. And uh, I'm not... I think you probably heard me mention, but if the microphone wasn't working, Paul and Tina are not here because Paul's brother had his mother-in-law die suddenly. No, I didn't hear that. Okay, so be in prayer for Paul and Tina's conversation with Paul's brother and his family. Okay. So, all right, I'm going to go ahead and close out the meeting. You have a good night, okay, Mary? Hey, you too. Okay, bye. Good night. Good night.